My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. All right. The celebrations, festivities continue here with two of my delightful past guests, Yotam Schachter from episode 18, The Strength Beyond Our Fear, and Lawrence Berner II from episode 75, Making New Worlds Possible. The really cool thing is despite the distance between the numbers 18 and 75 uh, in the journey of the Wonder Dome, I found out, and I can't remember how much of this is on recording at the moment, but I found out as we gathered together, the three of us, that Lawrence and Yotam used to live in the same building with each other. Maybe it's even possible. I haven't checked this with them. Maybe it's even possible that the numbers on their doors were 18 and 75. I don't know. That'd be pretty cool. But it was pretty cool for me to, to discover that. And I didn't know that when I arranged the gathering. So to know that these two beautiful men were coming into the space with some history and, and some shared joy and celebration already was really meaningful for me. And one thing that's been happening in these, uh, these gatherings is I've been discovering that in a way they're helping me do my own work. They're helping me get grounded and feel held and supported and reminded that in these intense, ambiguous, uncertain times and these times of violence and these times of polarization that um, we need each other. We need each other. And although I'm the host of the Wonder Dome and there's something about that role that can convey uh, expertise or, or sort of... Um, put togetherness, these conversations that have been helping me kind of be untogether and, and put new things together. And the space that, that Lawrence and Yotam and I play in is at this intersection of what it is to be a man, uh, what it is to be in relationship to the violence inside of us and the violence in our culture and in our histories and what it might look like for us as men to do work that allows us to embrace qualities of being, our, our physicality, our sexuality, our sensuality, all of these aspects that are often channeled in really violent and unhealthy ways. What would it look like to embrace those aspects without being reduced to them or defined by them? And uh, I'm, I, I had this conversation it was recorded recently in the wake of the Uvalde shooting in Texas and, and just, I mean, gosh, I could 
there are just hundreds I could list, but the most recent one was the Evalde shooting. And, and I was feeling really alive to the way in which so much of the violence committed in, in our society is committed by men. And um, we could unpack which men and, and the context of who are committing that violence, but that, that is a pretty unifying factor. And I've also recently finished reading this book, Different, by the primatologist Franz de Waal, who studies chimpanzees and bonobos, our closest genetic, living genetic relatives. And, uh, and so I'm just in this space of really making meaning around, around who we are as men and how we could evolve or show up in ways that allow us to fully express all of our potentials. Not just the quote-unquote masculine ones, but the full range of potentials in service of a more robust, healthy, healed, joyful world. And both Yotam and Lawrence have built their careers and their callings, their vocations, in part in doing men's work and helping other men do their work. So all of that to say that in a way, this this conversation turned into a bit of uh, work for me and I felt really held and supported by these two, two beautiful dudes. And I hope that you, especially if you identify as a man listening to this, particularly if even this language I'm using, identify as a man uh, in a male body, you know, if that language makes you a little itchy or uncomfortable, a little bit like, oh, that sounds soft and squishy and, and feminine, like, good, you're in the right place. Lean the fuck in because we need your strength, but we, we need you to get over your, this story you've inherited that just because you're strong, that you can also be sensitive. Our world needs that. It's not an either or it's a both end. And if you really want to get educated on that shit go read different by Franz de Waal, because it is both true that men and women are different, and it is also both true that we all exist on a gender spectrum that is rooted in nature. And so it's it's okay to be it's okay to be a man who really identifies with the, the masculine archetypes, the things that we see around like physicality and strength and dominance. Like that is part of our our, our inheritance and our legacy. But it's also okay to be a man who identifies with listening and compassion and sensitivity. That's also part of our genetic inheritance and legacy. And the people who try and tell you otherwise are selling you a bill of sale that's going to diminish you and reduce you. And potentially lead you down the kind of violent paths that we see some men going down. Who have literally no way to express themselves safely. And that's what this conversation digs into in a really beautiful way. All right. I got on a box, a soapbox there. I'm going to get off it. We're going to hang out and hear what Lawrence and Yotam have for us. Let's get settled in and make that happen. <sighs> All right, here we go. Oh, Lawrence, Yotam, welcome back. Good to be back. Yeah. Thank you for having us here. Yes. It took some doing and it, com <laughs> it comes at a loss of we were going to have a third, uh, fourth member of our, our gathering who couldn't be here, but I'm really glad the three of us are here. And I discovered fun fact, did not know this. You two used to live next door to each other, literally next door to each other. Is that right? Technically 
upstairs and downstairs from each other, but okay. close. Okay. We were right, in so the now, same building. The same building. Now, who? this is really important. Which of you is upstairs and who is banging on the roof with their broom telling the other to be quiet late at night? This is, this is everyone needs to know this. <laughs> I was upstairs. I never ah. heard any banging coming through ah. the floor. Okay. So Maybe Lawrence we was just, just, to just quietly cursing, cursing you. <laughs> Thankfully, we were close enough that if anything happened, it was probably something that I was invited to. So I was in the apartment okay. <laughs> when the thing was happening. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I think actually, I don't uh, No, No, this is that I, I was thinking of something I know about you, Yotam and a friend of yours, but that's that that'll take us way away on a tangent. That's not relevant. So I'm okay. so delighted that the two of you have already had so much time together, although it's, I guess it's been a while and uh, what a treat that this serves as an excuse to gather you again. And in the spirit of like light fun gatherings, I thought we could just talk today about, uh, you know, the state of, uh, of masculinity and violence in our country. And, uh, so yeah, we can just have a light. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm playing a bit, but, uh, thanks Lawrence for, for giving me a smile on that. We were, we're sitting here coming into this conversation. It's Thursday, July 7th, 2022. And as folks listening might know, my aspiration for this this space, for the Wonder Dome, is a space where we can engage in deep perennial questions about existence, about, about humanity, about our planet, about our society. And so it's not really a current event show. And uh, speaking for myself, I'm like arriving here in this moment, really charged and activated uh, with sadness, with rage, with uh, a sense of overwhelm, with a desire to take action. Like there's so many feelings inside of me right now in relation to sort of the political, social state of our country. And, and my hope for us, the three of us today, is that we might, through the doorway of the work that we all do um, with men and, and uh, with masculine identity, we might explore some of what's happening in our country in a way that um, honors that at this particular moment, it's really intense and also honors that someone might hear this a year from now or 10 years from now and, and be sitting with their version of the question in the face of deep social upheaval and systemic violence. What am I as an individual, as a man to do in the face of that? And, and that's sort of the, my hope and aspiration for, for our hour together. It's a pretty ambitious one I sense as I say it out loud, but I also am, I just need, it's like a need I have right now. Even if I weren't recording, it's like, I need to talk to some of my fellow dudes about, about what do we do? How do we show up right now? And uh, so that's, mm. that's kind of the spirit that we've gathered in today. And, and I'm really grateful that you both accepted that invitation. Thank you, Randy. Mm. Super grateful. grateful to be your fellow dude. <laughs> Agree. Hmm. Hmm. So where do we start? Hmm. The question that I'm in touch with is something like, why do we keep hurting each other so much? Why do we, and when I say we, I am in particular talking about um, men, and I, and I want to honor that, that, that there is lots of hurt that happens in other ways, but 
but there's a lot of uh, male violence in our society. And gosh, it just really, really makes me angry. And it actually, in a way, there I have that makes parts of me want to be violent in response to the violence. Like there are people that I want to hurt for the hurt that they've caused. So I'm just in touch with that that vi- that violence in me and that violence in us. And I'm just curious how each of you are. How are you relating to that right now? As as a human, as a man, as, as someone who cares about a more beautiful future. How are you relating to the to the violence in us right now? Powerful question. Mm-hmm. Lawrence, how are you relating to the violence in us right now? I really, like, I 100% feel what you named, Andy. Like, the... inside of my skin sensation of like a boiling up of really hot, intense energy as a reaction or response to what's happening. Mm. Um, And I think that's exactly what causes the violence. Like, I think it's just as simple as that. Mm. It's also monumentally complex, but I think it really is like people who are hurt have energy generated in them that wants to be released. And the most common way men are socialized in this country or boys are socialized in this country is to release it through other violence. Mm. Mm. It's just like a one-to-one reaction and we learn so little about other ways to be with that energy Mm. that we just inflict it on ourselves and each other ad nauseum. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about wounds um, and the way that this country was founded was in wounding like we were formed Mm. in deep wounding and if you think about the constitution that many of the people who came here were dealing with deep wounds they were also dealing with privileges and aspirations and hope etc but there was also wounding Um, and then many generations of people beyond the founding crew also came here with wounds And so we were just like stacking wounds on wounds on wounds on wounds, doing very little healing or tending. So to me, it's not surprising, but it is terrible. That feels to me like we're just like lashing out, acting out of our wounds at each other, on each other. And because of the power structures we live in, men have more access to do that with less retribution. Mm. Yeah, Tom, what's, what's moving in you as you hear Lawrence play with those, those themes? Yeah, I, I hear a lot of truth in that. Um, 
I notice I'm wary of looking at our history and only seeing the wounds. I think there is also a movement towards wholeness, a movement towards healing that has expressed itself in many moments in our history, and, and I want to honor that too. And I, I they they interweave. And that's sort of the nature of being humans in community. And there do seem to be certain particular wounds that like flow through American history, through the history of the West, through the history of capitalism, through the history of patriarchy, right? There are certain wounds that like have been there a long time mm. and they are hurting. Mm. And I notice my, my immediate urges to like go up into my head and like try to stand above it and look at all of that. And I'm trying to counter that and drop into like, where can I feel this in my body? And where does that take me? Um, and where it takes me is there's, there's this, you know, we're, we're three cis men talking and we're, we're, you're raising masculinity specifically. And there's like this insecurity in masculinity that is like forced to hide itself because masculinity is supposed to be secure. Hmm. Um, hmm. And that, that bind, uh, I, I, I feel that. And I see that like running through so much of um, how men are hurt and how men hurt mm. others that um, that we're not taught we're given this impossible standard of what it means to be a real man and we're not taught how to acknowledge the moments where we don't meet that standard and how to like feel insecure safely um, we're not taught how to feel shame safely and then uh, that the unsafety of not meeting the standard just like pushes me further into anger, violence, trying to control, trying to get other people to soothe me, trying to get other people to, um, to make me okay. And um, that's so much of what I'm working on in me. That's what I'm trying to invite men that I work with into mm. is like, can we start by just feeling that fear, just feeling that insecurity, not all the other steps that follow. Could you speak in whatever way you feel comfortable speaking to an example of that, a, a moment where you quote unquote, weren't living up to the impossible masculine ideal and the shame or insecurity that produced in you, or perhaps where you've seen that play out in your work. I'll tell you the, the moment that's coming to mind. I don't know that this is a perfect example of, of all of the dynamics that we're talking about. What do you mean? It's not perfect. You're supposed to be perfect. You know, <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I <laughs> you and Lawrence talk. I'll, I'll go home. Um, 
I was in a meeting a couple of weeks ago and I had, um, I had designed, uh, a program that a bunch of different people were going to be facilitating. We were going to sort of talk through any questions they had about how to facilitate this 90 minute session that I'd designed. And I got to the meeting and, and like just before this meeting began, the people that I report to on this project told me, actually, we're going to use this meeting to redesign the session that you designed, Yotam, uh, because of some feedback that we got from the client that we're delivering this to. And I um, like my body tightened immediately. I didn't know how to push back on like, we're taking over this meet like you were going to be the expert answering people's questions in this meeting. And mm -hmm. instead we're going to have a bunch of people brainstorming how to make the thing that you did better mm. um, because it's not good enough. Like that's the message that I heard. And um, I went into stories about not being good enough. And I went into um, I didn't know how to speak up about my uh, my feelings in that moment um, without like seeming like I wasn't being a good collaborator. You know, I wanted to to be somebody who's like open to feedback and open to collaboration and you know revising things. Um, and then people were brainstorming and they were generating a lot of ideas and there were a lot of really interesting ideas on the table that didn't mesh very well with um, the intricacies of this thing that I had designed and, and a lot of different objectives that I was trying to meet at one time. And a bunch of ideas are out there. We're half an hour into this conversation. Somebody sort of turns to me to speak and I like, I, I um, feel ashamed. I feel stuck. I feel angry. I feel sad. I feel scared. Mm. Um, the person I wanted to be in that moment, the person I thought I should be in that moment, wouldn't have been phased by anything, right? You guys want to change my thing. Great. You're going to change my thing. Here's what I think. You know, here's, he, here's how I'm just going to be a good collaborator in this moment. Um, that's not quite the like John Wayne, you know, patriarchal standard of masculinity, but that's the standard that I hold myself to of, of not being vulnerable. That's mm -hmm. the standard that I aspire mm -hmm. to of like, I don't have needs. Right. <laughs> and part of the stupid thing about patriarchy is it's all designed around men's needs while pretending that men don't have needs. <laughs> Right. Pretending so well this is just the natural order of things, mm. but it's all designed to protect men from their insecurities. Right. Mm. Mm. Um, so here I am and my insecurities are up and I don't know how to name them. I don't know. And like the world is not protecting me from them. And, and like, what do I do? Um, I'm proud of myself that what I did in that moment was I named that I was feeling really stuck that I was feeling I use the word emotional, which is such a like, that word is a product of patriarchy. And like every human being is emotional in every moment. Like how, what, what does it mean to <laughs> say, it mean to say emotional? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
it was the best I could do. And I was able to to name to this group because it was a group I'm, I'm, I trusted that I was feeling protective of my thing. I, I, I was feeling defensive. I didn't want to come across as defensive and I didn't know how to act in that moment. Um, and the best move that I could make in that moment was to just go into a lot of vulnerability. Go into a lot of, say it one more time to go into a lot, a lot of, of vulnerability. vulnerability and to just like put my vulnerability on the table for five other people to look at with me. And it was hard. And I have worked on this. I have practiced this. I'm good at this. And it was still hard. And there are 150 million men in our country who haven't had the opportunity to practice this and work on this. And mm -hmm. life presents them with these moments also. Um, and that that's the thing that I'm talking about. My earbuds are dying. So I'm going to switch to not using them. Okay. We can cut the text. No problem. Th thank you for that. Thank you for tapping into a recent moment. It's evoking a lot for me. Lawrence, I'm curious what's happening for you as you hear uh, Yotam share and some of the insights he's playing with. I just want to tech check, Yotam. You can hear and speak. I can now hear you. And can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yes. Great. Sorry about that. All happens. <clears throat> What's coming up for me here? Yeah, I appreciate the call to stay in the body and I think what what feels What feels present in my body is like the, yeah, like the, the tightness of the like cage, like the tightness of the cage of masculinity. Um, and, you know, there's this activity that's been going around for years called the man box. And so if you're familiar with it out, yeah, I won't explain all of it, but basically there's like, it's a experiential activity where you learn, where you play with all the adjectives that men are supposed to be. And then you think about all the adjectives that men in your life actually are. And then you are faced with this, like you come up with this um, awareness of this constructed boundary between what men are supposed to be and what they actually are when we are in loving relationship with them. And it feels just really resonant with what you're talking about. Your time of like, just like, I'm stuck. <laughs> we have this impossible standard. Could you give um, us just a flavor of that boundary? Like what, what actually is versus what, what is expected? Yeah. Um, I think another, <clears throat> I really appreciated Yotam's example. Another way that boundary sometimes looks is like, uh, we are told that we have to uh, be ready at all times for like all situations. Often we're expected to know everything all the time. It's sometimes very implicit. Um, 
but like I can think so clearly about all the times when I didn't know an answer to a question and I just lied and made up something (laughs) because I was conditioned to believe that I always had to have an answer. Like elementary school conditioning from teachers very explicitly, like just try it out, make something up, see what your intuition tells you. But it wasn't even explicit as around intuition. It was just like first hand up in the air, fastest answer gets a piece of candy. Mm. Um, Mm. so like, that's a thing that I get, I was conditioned into. And yet when I think about men in my life, I loved moments where they're, they were dealing, dealing with curiosity, like being with my dad and gardening and being like, we don't know how to do this thing, but we're going to read books and talk to people and try it year after year after year and get better. Um, so that's sort of one of the dichotomies, like being expected to know everything, but the men, a really important man in my life, I connected with him around his not knowing. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that. Yeah. I interrupted your flow a bit to get that example, but I wonder, was there more that you were, you were going to share if you still have contact with it? The, the contact I still have with that thought was, oh, right. So it was like the tightness in my body around the cage and it felt like, yeah, this, um, uh, you know, the, like a, a thrashing energy is what comes when I think about being in a cage or when I tap into the feeling of being in a cage, which is like, I don't want to be in this cage. And so I will try really hard to break the cage. Um, and I will hurt other people in the cage <laughs> to get free from the cage. Mm. And I might even keep going once the cage is broken to make sure that I never get put in a cage again. Mm. Mm. And so like the energetics of that flow feel real. Thanks for sharing that. The, it puts me in touch with a feeling I've been having and I attempted to put it into words before we started recording and I might attempt again, which is some sort of paradox or tension between freedom and imprisonment. And, you know, I mentioned how upset I am right now at this moment. Uh, one of the, one of the like examples of that upsetness is I just recently was looking, I saw a picture of a group of young children who were at the site of a school shooting. So it wasn't, they were alive. This wasn't a picture of the violence itself, although you can find those pictures if you try to. And that's, uh, that's a whole rabbit hole to go down, but even just this picture of these children and they were terrified. I mean, I could just see the terror on their face so clearly. And it, uh, it, it essentially, I mean, it brought me to my knees. I looking at that level of terror for, a young child made me so fucking angry and uh, sad all at once. I didn't even know what to do with those emotions. And um, I'm looking at that and going, you know, 
we're we're like we're holding ourselves at gunpoint with our guns so we can say that we are free to have our guns. Like we're literally holding our children at gunpoint to protect the freedom that we have. And so there's so there's like a way in which we're imprisoning ourselves in service of some kind of freedom that there's just something in there. It's like that, that way in which you will do whatever it takes not to go back in that cage, even if it means putting children in the cage. And literally in some cases we can, there are other, we're not talking about another issue, but like there are also in America children in cages right now. So it just, ah, like a fucking, I get angry about that. And then I want to find the dudes who have the guns and I don't know if you all ever have these fantasies, but I have these heroic fantasies of like somehow being there at the moment and intervening in just the right way and somehow like not getting shot and not being afraid. And, and that narrative is too, we got the, the good guys are there, then the bad guys can't win. I'm like, shit, now I'm participating in that narrative. So there's some way in which I just feel fucking imprisoned by this, uh, this, this, all of this usage of the desire to be free and not be constrained that keeps showing up. And I, so yeah, help me with that. Play with that with me. <laughs> I cannot promise any help, but I can yeah. play with you there. <laughs> Great. Yeah. What's, what's cooking for you? I see you nodding a lot, Lawrence, as I, as I named that. Or Yotam, yeah. Yotam, you can hop in. I see you want to get in. Yeah. So first, the first thing I want to name is like, I do notice I want to like jump in and help you. Right. And that's more of the same thing you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, you're so uncomfortable and I'm so uncomfortable with your discomfort. I want to make you comfortable so that I don't have to feel bad. (laughs) Yes. So I'm just going to like out myself on that and put it out there. And now I'm going to drop into my discomfort instead. Mm. 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 And uh, can we just, I'm just going to like use my voice because this is one thing I'm finding a lot of is that letting discomfort express itself in my body and in my voice helps. It gives me a little more space in the cage, right? So I'm going to find that and go, uh, yeah. uh, right? Yeah. And for me, that lets me drop from the like urgency down into grief. And it lets the pain, instead of being like unbearable discomfort that I have to get away from, the pain becomes like a tenderizing, uh, almost a sweetness. The two of you in in your podcast episode together talked a lot about the beauty of grief and how grief makes room for joy. Hmm. So I'm I'm feeling some of that, right? Can I just let my heart break open in response to your discomfort? And that feels better to me, actually, than trying to fix you. It's harder, but it feels better. Yeah. Well, and and interestingly enough. And this, this may, to a certain extent, be reflective of what you presenced earlier, which that is that the three of us, each in our own ways, have had some privilege of time, space, and energy to work consciously with our the fact that we are emotional, <laughs> yes. like because we're human. Yes, yes, yes. And the move you made there, which is to say, I can see that I want to help fix you and I'm not going to do it, was so relaxing for me. It actually did help me in a way that had you come in and been like, 
well, Andy, have you thought about this? Or have you tried this? Or, or well, you know, maybe you should toughen up. Maybe, well, like, whatever you could have done to try and make me feel better or make me be stronger or make me be tougher, all of that, like, even as I imagine you doing that, makes me get tense. And what you did instead is I'm, like, smiling and I'm like, okay, there's room again. There's space in the cage again, even if the cage is still there. So I want to honor that as a skillful move that also did paradoxically meet my needs in a way that the part of you that wanted to jump in and help me probably wouldn't have been able to. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Your time. I feel like you did this again, like embodied process of the thought that I had. And I also want to name, uh, I have a coach and my coach, I have a consciousness coach. Um, my consciousness coach said that he noticed my default stance is intellectual curiosity. I feel uncertain. I like look up and think and be curious. Um, so I'm just appreciating in this conversation, either your Tom, your default stance or your conditioned stance has become like in the body. <laughs> so appreciating that. And the thought um, that came then was like, yeah, I I know I can't help you with that, but I can play with you with it. Mm, mm. And you time, I feel yeah. like you were like, okay, I actually see my help energy and I'm going to stop it. And I don't know if you would call it play, but like getting into your body and being like, like letting energy move is a type of play. I think because <laughs> kids do it all the time. Like you imagine you're a dragon and you just like, my friend um, was saying the other day, she walked in the room to her three kids, like all holding on to a stuffed animal, like growling at each other. <laughs> and I thought that A, was super cute. And B, like, right, kids probably release all sorts of emotions all the time because they play together. And it's like, sometimes you're the bad guy and you get to be like mean and evil and like mischievous. And sometimes you're the good guy and you get to save the the day and sometimes you're like on the sideline and like sometimes you're anyways there's probably like so much that comes up with us as we are kids playing as we get to and that helps us release our emotional charges mm, mm, and we really mm. don't do that as adults in general and men especially um unless it's sports which mostly in my experience of adult sporting is not about play, <laughs> which is mad ironic. <laughs> not ironic. It's just weird. Like we have multi-billion dollar industry, like billions and billions of dollars framed around play. That is not very playful. Yeah. It's Dude, strange. Anyways. <laughs> can I, can I jump in there? Cause you're just, you just yeah. evoke something really exciting and meaningful for me. My son is almost two. And, and there's an extent to which this is developmentally true for two-year-olds, in particular um, two-year-old boys, but also points in the direction of, of like Yotam doing the adult version of this in our space, which is when my son is upset, the dude is upset in his body. Like he will walk over to the corner and like, like he'll like, go into a crouch and put his head on the ground and like, ah, or if he's really upset, he'll like lie on the back on his back. And like, if you go near him, he's like, get away from me. Like it's so embodied upset. Yep. And, um, then 
a minute later or 10 minutes later, he is the happiest, sweetest little dude you've ever met. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like, oh, actually, there is already wisdom in our bodies to, to move those emotions. And, and in particular, he's doing that in a way that my daughter never did. She does get upset, but the way she, her, she moves it through her body is different because her body is different. So, you know, there's yeah. something in particular about actually like the, the male body from, a, from, from this very youthful age is actually very like, ah, like swinging arms and doing, it, it's not this uh, stoic, no show toughness that the, the gap between reality and, and the masculine identity, I'm, I'm just so in touch with. And I wish that we could actually just have a culture where, where if, a, if we're upset, we could just freaking let it out. <laughs> and I, I think like, sorry, I just, there's so much in what you said that, that my brain is going too many different places at once. Um, Let's see if you can bring it back into your body again. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I thought the same thing. It's definitely a conditioned response and not um, whatever the other language was that you said. Um, what was the other term you said? It's like your default tendency, your, your default mode, your default shape. Yeah. Yeah. I have like taught myself to go to my body um, and watching my son do it when he was two years old taught me a lot and being with him as he was just emoting the hell out of his experiences taught me a lot about how to be with me as I was emoting the hell, like gave me more permission to mm. just be with myself emoting the hell out of these things. And yeah, we need those ways of just expressing it. And we need permission to feel it in order to be able to give ourselves permission to express it. And it seems like within patriarchy, one of the very few ways that men are taught to move emotion through is, is through physical violence. Mm. And if that violence is like chopping wood or, you know, punching a punching bag, then it's like more okay. And if it's in a boxing ring or in football, like that's okay. And if it's, if those aren't available, right. Or if it's bigger than fits through that, through those narrow channels, then sometimes it turns tragically violent. Mm. And weirdly enough, in my, like, whatever received folk history of American patriarchy, I think there was more room in the past for men to just, like, be angry and go shout at the wall. And, like, you know, there was a little bit more of a folk wisdom of giving yourself permission to be angry and just let it out without needing to let it out at somebody. Mm. Mm. Um, And for whatever reason, like, the impoliteness of that or the, 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 the norm of masculinity has shifted so that that's not allowed either. And it's just suppress, 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 explode. Right. Mm. Or it's suppress yourself and then suppress anybody else around you who reminds you of the things in yourself that you're suppressing. Mm. Uh, And we get these like, you know, white supremacist workplaces where nobody's allowed to have any emotions anyway. And it's like, you, you, you leave your heart at home. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going off on, on a bunch of like, you just sparked a lot for me. So I'm curious if either of you like mm. holds that in any kind of larger 
sense. Well, there's an image in my mind I'm in touch with. Uh, you know, there's an archetype, a human archetype of of the hunter. And 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 by the way, like the sort of anthropological records show that that hunter archetype was often, but not always, embodied by by humans in male bodies. That also other other people of diff- of many gender identities were hunters. But this archetype has a what we might call a really masculine energy to it, and it is a, a potent archetype that is really present in our culture and both, uh, I would argue both really positive ways and also really scary ways. But the image I'm in touch with as you just sort of speak out loud is this way in which if the only way I'm allowed to express my emotion is through violence and that's starting to meet a, a current cultural state, which where, where, you have to be polite and civilized and uh, together and rational and not emotional at all. Like the convergence of that, like masculine channeling emotion through violence and the sort of capitalists, white supremacist culture of like niceness and politeness and don't talk about the stuff on in the closet or under the, under the rug kind of culture. You have this archetypal energy that has nowhere to express itself in healthy, productive ways. And so I'm like getting this image of someone who is out like hunting. And, and I might even argue that this is a version of like the, the, like the most unhealthy, scary expression is like, you're literally going to, you're trying to kill the thing you're feeling because you can't actually feel it. And so you have this kind of hunter energy out seeking to kill what is actually just needs to be expressed inside of itself. And that scares the shit out of me because <laughs> that hunter energy is powerful and we can't, it's a yeah. part of our, it's a part of our ancestral heritage. We can't, we, we're trying to like somehow, I don't know. I, I don't know quite know. I, that's maybe I'll say, I'll stop there and just see what's happening for you as I presence that image. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thought around where that energy used to be, at least in this country, or if I think about earlier ages of the economies that we live in, like we used to have work that was really physical. Mm. Mm. So I don't know if there's like a golden era. I I mean, we know there's no golden era of America, but like, (laughs) yo, Tom, to your question of like what was happening in the past where some, it seemed like something was different. Like you used to go to work and use your body all day. Yeah. And like before we had labor laws around the 40 hour work week, you might be using your body for 12 hours a day or more. Um, so I feel like there's a real place where we used to be in our bodies in a way that was, yeah, we just had more space to move energy through. Hmm. And now some of us have access to that. And sometimes that comes with class disadvantage. And those of us who have more class economic class privilege have less and less access to that in our bodies, um, but more power in the systems that we live in. Mm. Um, So I just wanted to like name that. And I think that's Andy, part of what you are bringing up there for me is like another man box paradox of like, we get taught that we're supposed to be stoic and calm and rational. Um, but I know my connection, like when I have connections with men that really matter, 
so often it's around their like open access to emotionality. When I saw my dad cry at my grandma's funeral, um, you know, when I think about my cousins being like scared and saying that they were scared, like, you know, there's another one of those dichotomies. Um, and I, I feel like I want to just bring this. I was so, I'm so enthralled by the like freedom as imprisonment thing you were trying to bring in or that, that you did bring in earlier, Andy. And yeah, there's just something that, yeah, the, the sublimation of this hunter energy that then shows up sideways in destruction, self-destruction or other destruction. Like it feels so one thing I want to name is it feels important to just sit with that. Like that that is happening. Um, And you know, maybe my last little thought in this flow, like, you know, Tommy, you were talking about what would it, or what, a thing you said around expressing this energy, these energies, these feelings, um, but not having space to express them. Like, uh, yeah, like there's a piece I know as like a black man, I have less access to my anger because a system has told me that my anger will get me killed. Mm. And I think for good dudes, like quote unquote, good dudes who I might put all three of us in that category, we have learned that male anger causes harm. Mm. Mm. And so I know many husbands who never express anger to their wives because they know that their wives have been in situations where a male being angry Mm. directly harmed them. Mm. And so even if they're not conscious of the language, like they don't want to trigger their wives. So they're like not angry around them, which is like, I feel like it's a compassionate. (laughs) It's, it's coming from a compassionate place, but where we, when we have nowhere to go with that release, it, ends up in a non-compassionate venue. And it is just like, yeah, the, the, like, I just keep coming back to like the paradox of the freedom in the cage and the like Mm. imprisonment Mm. and like the Mm. trappedness is just like, yeah, it's just swimming, swimming. So I'm swimming in all of that. Uh, Yeah. I'll chill there for now. I feel I want to share that I'm feeling naming the trap in a, in a way that I haven't had the opportunity to do yet is, is doing something for me. I'm not quite in touch yet with what it's doing for me, but I'm noticing that I'm less tense around these questions of, of violence and male violence than I was when we started the the call before, even before we started recording. 
So there's something about being aware of that trap that we've somehow arrived in. And most of us inhabit the trap with like a functional, a socially functional and acceptable amount of violence in our lives. Maybe we're doing violence to ourselves by drinking too much, or maybe we're, you know, like whatever it is, we're going playing our sports, we're going kickboxing, we're doing the thing and we can function and society keeps going. But, but we have, we have along that spectrum, we have men who are out at the fringes who on, on maybe the furthest side of the, on one end of the cage, uh, literally have no way to contact their hunter energy, their anger, they're so repressed that they don't even see the way that that shadow is looming over them and showing up and really negative and hurtful ways. And on the other end, we maybe have people who are so chasing the hunter energy that they're willing to kill anything in sight without uh, discrimination or without any sort of discernment or attunement that actually represents the kind of like harmonious hunter in relationship to environment that, uh, that the archetype represents. So it's like either like total repressed violence or total expression of violence, neither of which are healthy. And then a bunch of us sort of somewhere in the middle trying to be like, what, what the fuck do we do? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm thinking a lot about language. I learned this from Resma Menachem. I'm not, sure he 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 cites his source and it doesn't stay in my mind about uh clean pain and dirty pain mm-hmm. and when you're in dirty pain you're like trying to figure out how to make the pain go away and you do stuff that is not actually of service to you or the people around you and you you push further pain into yourself or you push your pain through other people and when you're in clean pain you allow yourself to feel the pain and you do the hard thing that you know is the right thing and you just embrace that it sucks and you get through to the other side of it and a lot of the things we do for dirty pain hold it at bay but they don't actually get us to the other side of it Hmm. and i think that's the that's the trap you're talking about of like holding on to a certain kind of freedom from pain that is mm. not actually mm. addressing mm. the pain, not actually resolving the pain, not letting the mm. pain do something to you, right? You're not letting yourself be done to. And that's also a big part of what masculinity is in our society is like, I as masculine am the doer. I am not done to. Mm. So I can't let my feelings do something to me. I can't let other people do something to me. Um, Lawrence, I've had the pleasure of hugging you. And hugging you is an experience. Oh my experience. God, that's what I was thinking! <laughs> and every time we hug, I go in masculine, and I'm like doing the bro hug thing, and you don't let go, and I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> I'm going to let this guy actually hug me. And I like, and and my body softens, and I actually receive, and it's like, it's a state change to get a Lawrence Barriner hug. <laughs> I have to drop my shit. I have to drop my armor. Sorry if we can't use that word oh, yeah, on, you can, on your podcast. Okay. You can, you can drop drop your shit. You got Baronard, as we said. That's that's another I way got, you get yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm curious for you, Andy, like you, you've sort of put yourself in the hot seat. Um and I'm curious, like, what's the thing 
that you're hanging on to? How, what's the word you would use for the thing that you would have to let go of? Maybe the identity that you would have to let go of mm. in order to find actual freedom. Wow. <laughs> Fucking Yotam. I just got Yotams. You got Yotam. <laughs> I just got, got shaktered. Just got shaktered. Wait, Yotam, are we saying your last name right? Yeah, Shachter. I mean, it's Great. fun. So to be shachted is literally to be slaughtered. So Whoa. I hope that's not what it is. Oh, oh, wow. That's a, wow, that's an etymological friggin' yeah. thing here. I'm yeah, slaughtering but... your ego and revealing the truth underneath. Yeah. That's, that's exactly. what's going on here. You're slaughtering falsity, <laughs> falsehoods, <laughs> slaughtering illusions. Oh, <laughs> so good. That's just like, could we have put a finer point on this moment? No, we can't. So what is the... Hmm. Andy. Lawrence. I have a thought that might buy you some time. <laughs> oh, thank you. Generous of you. Or... Or you could just be in it. <laughs> yeah, well, share the thought with understanding that I don't need your damn help, all right? <laughs> you're right, you're right, you're right. I guess I should have said, I have a thought I want to share. <laughs> yeah, and you were going to your, you were going to hugs also. So I'm, I'm curious where, where that was taking you. Yeah, to play yes, a bit more, because I, do I don't like, yo, Tom, your question is rocking my world, and I don't, and I like, I'm going to have to sit with it for a bit. So actually, I do, yeah, sit with it. we won't subject people listening to seven minutes of me being like, hmm. <laughs> 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 ah. <laughs> Today, we won't do that, Today but we, we might in the future. Yeah, I would listen to that podcast. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. Morning. Okay. Just to be clear. Okay. Um, so yeah, when I squealed earlier about thinking about hugging... Um, I love the clean pain, dirty pain from Rizma Menachem um, and wherever he gets it from. But I was thinking as you were sharing your time, like, and I, I can't remember if he says it in the book. I'm pretty sure he does. But like being held is how we be in clean pain. Mm. And most again. of us have learned how to not be held, like being held is how we be in clean pain, how we be with clean pain, how we let, as he says, clean pain move through us, do something to us so that whatever is done has changed and transformed us. And then we get to be the new person. We get to be the person who is changed by this thing that happened to us that hurt physically or emotionally or spiritually or any other way. And we have to be held in order for that to happen. Like literally as babies, we are held. We are held for nine months before we get here in a womb. And then we hold our kids as they cry. And for boys, this I think happens to all folks of all genders in this context, but for boys, especially we learn so early how to reject being held. Andy, I think even as you were talking about your two-year-old who like, maybe he's already learned when he's having big feelings, the thing is to not be held. The thing is to go away. I'll jump in here. And and after he's gone through, he wants to be held. Like Mm. it's, it's, so it's, it's sort of the like, 
I'm honoring his sovereignty to be pissed. Yeah. He's pissed at me. He doesn't want me to pick him up. But then I'm also honoring his sovereignty to be like, I'm done being pissed. Like, I want to snuggle with you. Yeah. You know? And so it's like a both end. And Mm -hmm. at somewhere along the way, to your point, like, we somehow learn that we shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. Or we shouldn't allow that to be done to us. Absolutely. And I think... Okay, I'll, I'll just finish this. Finish that it, quick. Um, the uh, I am appreciating the, the nuance you're bringing around. Like, yes, sometimes the right thing to do is be alone and thrash, maybe so you don't hurt anybody. But the return to being held is important. Um, I also talked with you know one of my teachers, friends, Gibran Rivera, about like being held as you are actively in pain, like. And, you know, there's, um, oh, what's the documentary where they talk about doing men's work in prison? The work. Do you all know what I'm talking about? The work. <laughs> yes. Like, they take, like, 15 or 20 guys, and they hold someone as they thrash. Mm. Yeah. And, like, that as a way to be in pain feels important to me. So, like, okay, nuance there. <laughs> More nuance than we have time to dig into here. But the last thing I just wanted to say was, like, Yotam, the, the reason hugging came up for me is like, we have masculinity out of balance with our femininity. We are taught, men, cis men are taught in this country that masculine is all we are. Yeah. And the doing energy we have is real. It's super important. And if you don't ever know how to be held or to be done to, it's just way out of balance. And so like the hugging that I love to do is to give people a chance to, to like be receptive, to be feminine, to be held. But it's because I, I want that for myself too. Like I want to be held sometimes. I love hugging. Mm. I feel like that's the thing people don't get that often, like a real firm, like I'm holding you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to hold. Mm. So that's a part of masculinity I want to embody, but I just know that I can't do that all the time. <laughs> I do that sometimes. And there's there's so much in this about about holding. Um, I, I want to play a little bit here. That oh, like as you're saying that, I feel the craving to be held, and I feel the like fragile masculine inside me that says no 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 i hold i am not held right and and i notice how the like the 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 lose lose compromise that i create for myself sometimes is these substitutes for being held that i want somebody to listen to me and then listening is the substitute for holding but then i can't say the thing that really wants to be held and heard anyway so I'm just asking to be listened to endlessly, right? Or sex becomes the substitute for being held. And like men are not allowed to want to be held, but men are really allowed to want sex. And then we we um, we try to get something from sex that it's not actually that, that we're not actually letting ourselves receive, and that sex isn't actually supposed like. If what you want is to be held, fucking somebody really hard isn't going to give that to you. Um, 
and I think a lot of male sexual violence is coming out of like this craving to be held and also resisting the craving to be held and finding like poor shitty substitutes for it. Okay. I also want to name though, I see in myself the voice that says I need to be held. I need to be held. I need to be held by somebody else that, um, that also doesn't feel like the healthy maturity of me and learning to be the guy who holds me sometimes like, yes, there's something really valuable about me learning to let myself be held by you, Lawrence, or by my wife, or by a friend, by a therapist, right? Sometimes physically, sometimes just in presence. Um, and there's also something really powerful about learning to be the man who holds the child inside of me. Uh, and I, I just want to speak up for the both end. Mm. 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 I'm so glad you're speaking to that. The risk of inquiring into and interrogating these, these social patterns, these identity patterns, these biological patterns is, is that someone hearing this or ourselves hearing this go like, it's not this, it's that it's not strength. It's, 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 uh, it's being held, but actually like the, the, the beauty here is that there we have access to, there are times when no one will be able to hold us. Can we hold ourselves? What a powerful question it is. And there will be times when all we want is to be hold. And are there people around us who are willing to do that holding? And to, to see that both are healthy human expressions feels important to me. And Yotam, I don't, I don't have the answer yet to your question. What do I need to let go of? But the, the, at least a part of the answer has something to do with like I, I both need to go closer to the violent parts of myself and to the violence in our society in some way. I need to get closer to it. And I need to potentially relinquish the sense that by me getting closer, I will somehow heroically fix it. That I can just kind of, if I'm just both strong enough and open-hearted enough I can walk in there and change. Like I, I just, that's what I'm sitting with. I'm sitting with that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thanks for the beautiful question. Oh, dudes. Wow. (laughs) This I am realizing now was when I, before we started recording, what I was essentially just asking for was like to be held. Because this is such a hot, intense, scary, complex time. There are so many things we talked about before the recording that we didn't even mention here. Like that just like, so whenever you hear this, Google July 7th, 2022 in the US of A, and you'll get a sense of the headlines that we're like in right now. So I'm really grateful that uh, we made this happen and that you could show up and, and that we could hold each other in these inquiries of of who we are and who we who we're becoming grateful to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Lawrence. Um, Thank you both. You, in your podcast conversation, you talked about being 
connected to wisdom paradigms. And as we were centering before this, I could feel like this is the, the, the gathering of the wisdom paradigms that I represent and I'm connected to and the wisdom paradigms that each of you represents and are connected to. And like, I don't feel like I'm just here on behalf of me, mm-hmm. you know, that there's a, there's a conference here among the greater powers that we're mm-hmm. speaking for. And I, um, I feel grateful for the exchange among, among these traditions, among these paradigms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. Thank you for, bringing in again what Andy helped ground us in before the conversation of all of the people that we are in, that are in this conversation through the three of us. Thank you, Yotan, for bringing that back in. And I think, yeah, I just feel really compelled to say this as a, as a gratitude. Like I'm grateful to the young people who are here and are coming because so much of where this stuff is anchored in me, the reason I care about most of the conversation we're having is because I want them to have what they need. And, you know, a part of me wants them to have better than what I had. Mm-hmm. And so all of the grappling, all of the thinking and feeling and practice that we and our wisdom paradigms are grappling with here is like for the possibility that we get to gift. Hmm. So thank you for holding. <laughs> we did some like rotating holding <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, thank you for holding me as it relates to all of the pasts and presents and futures that are here. Okay, I think that brings us to completion for this gathering of wisdom traditions in the Wonder Dome and of the three of us to the extent that we were able to express and honor those traditions. Uh, And thanks everyone for listening in, for joining us. May you go out and try and pay this gift forward to the men in your life, to the children in your life, to a world where we don't have to kill each other because we're hurting. That's a world I want my kids to grow up in. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, Please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, 
I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever. <laughs>